0: Welcome back for season two of the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson, and I'm here to encourage you with tips and strategies to help you deepen your faith, build stronger relationships, and do the most with your life in Christ. Thank you for joining. Let's get started. Today, I would like to do something a little bit different than usual you've probably noticed that most episodes are pushing you to do some things, to try some things, to build something. Looking back over just the last four or five episodes, we talked about building steel men out of other people's arguments, experiencing new people and new books, building great partnerships, designing your environment, and so on. There is always something you can do, week in and week out, to try and excel in your walk with God. No doubt, Lord willing, there will be plenty more episodes designed to help you grow, and I'm sure even at the end of this one, we will come around full circle to that, but today the focus is more important than all of those things. You and I must recognize the nearness of God. The abiding concept of knowing that God is in the room, that Jesus is with you wherever you go, and that ultimately the power that you have to increase your faith or change your relationships or make the most out of your life for God comes from God, from His helping hand, from His protective hand, from the rule of His Son in your life, from the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word and in ways we cannot even describe. It is great and it feels great to do wonderful things for God, but we need to put our achievements into context. And the context is, you and I are not very powerful. We do not possess within ourselves the power to defeat all that the devil levels against us and to change the world but God does. It's His power working in us and around us and through us, and I just need to make sure it's important to me that you realize that, and specific to our title today, that you are experiencing God's hand upon you in all that you do. Ultimately today, that terminology will draw us back to an incredible Old Testament story. More on that in a minute. But I want you to hear a little bit of New Testament Christian age language. Most of us know Matthew chapter 28, the end of the gospel, what Jesus said to the disciples just before he ascended. We know that Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We know that he said to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. But don't overlook this last phrase. It made all the difference in the world. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The apostles drew intense and abiding confidence from knowing that Jesus was always with them. Though he ruled in heaven, he was still by his infinite power in the room in every discussion and persecution and instance they lived in his name. Do you understand that that is true for you? You might say, well, that was the apostles, and they received miraculous gifts of the Spirit, and it's not the same for me. But I would draw your attention to Philippians 4. This is a passage that we love. We featured it in previous episodes. Be anxious for nothing was a recent topic we covered directly from this text. But listen to it again, and please do not overlook what is probably the most significant part of the instruction. Verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, none of that makes sense if Jesus is a million miles away. If He's at some ultimate destination, and one day maybe you will get to be near Him, there's no peace in Christ with distance. Jesus sits on the throne, but He is also omnipotent and omnipresent. He has all power, and He is here. He is near you. He is near you in trials and in triumph. He is near you when you are working on all of the different things we talk about in these episodes and it is His nearness that makes success possible. It is His power and His protection. Please live your life aware of that. For some, it can be a frightening prospect. You mean Jesus is with me everywhere? He sees everything that I do, even when no one else is there? The answer is yes. His omnipresence is a principle that is true whether you believe it or not, but like all good principles, Once you understand its reality, or in this case, his reality, you begin to use it to your advantage. One more passage I would love to add here, and maybe it's a little less familiar than the two previously cited, is Hebrews chapter 13 verses 5 and 6. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? How comforting is belief in that? Trying circumstances in this life, rich, poor, sick, or healthy, none of it changes the fact that I have a helper who made it all, sees it all, saved me, and has promised me an eternity in the everlasting glories of heaven. I've talked about this a lot in sermons over the years, and I usually preface if I'm in a gospel meeting or something. I say, look, these next few comments may weird you out a little bit. Just give me the benefit of the doubt here and listen carefully. But I see Jesus wherever I go. I see him sitting in the passenger seat next to me on the way to work. I see him in the room when there's no one else in the room, and I'm not scared about that. It is one of the, if not the, most enabling, encouraging, and empowering realities of the spiritual sight that the Holy Spirit has blessed us to possess. So I want to help you get a real picture of that and see what it can do for you, and there is a beautiful story found back in the book of Ezra. Ezra chapters 7 through 10 would be an incredible reading for you this week. If you do read it, make sure you have a pencil handy and look for the phrase, the hand of God. The good hand of God was upon Ezra every step of the way. It made the journey possible, and everything that Ezra pulled together the personal strength to do was because he experienced the hand of God upon him. Before I share with you some of those verses, let me give you a 30-second history lesson. Judah had been carried off to captivity for 70 years. At the end of that, a guy named Zerubbabel led a bunch of them back, and they ultimately rebuilt the temple. That's Ezra chapters 1 through 6. Then you have a big jump of about 60 years after that, when Ezra wants to leave Babylon and go home and help with religious reform in Jerusalem. He wanted to go and teach them the law of God. Ezra's first obstacle was getting King Artaxerxes to approve him leaving. Obviously, Ezra had nearly zero power over that, but here's what the Bible says in Ezra 7-6. Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was. Was upon him. The entire journey begins because God's hand is on Ezra, and that power was used to grant favor in the sight of Artaxerxes. Now, pretty early on in the journey, Ezra realized he was going to need others to go with him. In order to have a successful journey, it was a very long journey. In order to get there and make a real difference, he needed to gather up some people who shared his passion. But you know, leadership doesn't always come easy to everyone, and it was a big change for Ezra. But what we learn in chapter 7 at the end is that he was able to do that, and there was a specific reason why. Picking up in verse 27, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to adorn the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and has extended loving kindness to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. Now listen to this. Thus I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord my God upon me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. I mean, listen, somebody literally could have said, Ezra, where have you gotten all of this courage to lead? And he would say, God is right here beside me. His hand of strength and encouragement is upon me. I am carrying out the will of the universe builder, and yet he is with me. Listen to what Ezra says about God's hand in chapter 8. This fascinates me. He said, I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all of those who seek him, but his power and his anger are against all all those who forsake him. How incredible is that? Ezra's like, I didn't even want to ask soldiers from Babylon to come because I didn't want them thinking that I needed power other than what God has provided. Ultimately, along the way, God surrounded him with lots of helpers of the nation of Israel and all of the protection that he needed. And then I suspect this last part will not surprise you. In verse 31 of chapter 8, it says, We journeyed from the river Ahaba on the 12th of the first month to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was over us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes by the way. So I want you to begin to make some connections here. God favored the work of Ezra in Jerusalem. It was God's will that he go. When he got there in chapter 9 and 10, he brought religious reform that the Jews needed desperately. They had entered into unlawful marriages, and he used Ezra's ability to teach and great patience to help work them all through that. And in the end, many in the nation were preserved because Ezra wanted to do the right thing. But hear me clearly, it was not Ezra's desire to do the right thing that made it happen. It was crucial, but it wasn't what made it happen. It was the hand of the Almighty God, and you need to know that. It is important that you seek to grow. It is important that you have a plan, that you hear an ESM episode, and you say, I'm going to go out and do that or change that or improve that. That's important. And if your will and these episodes align with the power of the God of heaven, there are limitless possibilities for what God can do with you. But know this and know it well. It is God's hand on you that will make any of that possible, His nearness. I like to imagine both of the hands of God. The left one is on my back, encouraging me and pushing me forward, and the right hand is before me, blocking out and pushing away every adversary that might stand there. Multiply that blessing times the blood of Jesus, the eternal kingdom, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and what can man do to us? What can stop us when God's power leads us? Now listen, it is important to talk about how great Ezra was. It's not like he was just some mindless puppet that God pushed along the way. Ezra prepared himself for success. At the very beginning in chapter 7, right after it said the good hand of his God was upon him, verse 10 records, "...for... Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. As we get to the last portion of today's episode, I want you to notice four things about Ezra in this story that God was able to use, things that were worth protecting, and things that made a difference. And the first one is, Ezra put in some early work. Ezra studied the word. He learned it. He learned it to a level where he could teach it. So when he stepped out, God had good reason to protect him because he was useful in the kingdom. Keep that in mind. All of the work you do every day, the Bible reading, the reading of other books, the thinking through of things, the assurances that you create in your own mind, you are preparing yourself to be used by God. And I'll tell you something else. Every step of the way in Ezra 7-10, through 10, Ezra sought the Lord. He was incredibly prayerful. He turned to God at every stage. When he needed help, he turned to God, not the king, but God. When he needed protection, he turned to God. When he needed inspiration, he turned to God. And there's a reason why he so willingly and easily did that. Can you make the connection? Because God was right there with him. It was not a far journey to go and find God. He could speak and the Lord would be there with him because he was experiencing the hand of God on him and he knew that all he needed to do was ask. Thirdly, Ezra was willing to go out and try a hard thing. How difficult it must have been for men like Nehemiah and Ezra to leave everything they knew and just go for it. I mean, it's one thing to prepare yourself and it's another thing to be prayerful all the time, every step of the way. Those are tremendous. But then to actually leave, to go, to take the big chance and travel to Jerusalem and try to change their entire world. Ezra did what very few would do. And you already know why, because he was not alone. Can you imagine how courageous you would be if you could actually see Jesus standing next to you now? If you could look into his eyes and see the smile on his face, and you could feel his hand on your shoulder, what would be impossible for you in the kingdom? I feel like the answer is nothing. But I need you to begin to understand that's the way it is. That's what faith is, an understanding of that and the willingness to step out in faith. The last thing I would mention about Ezra is when he got to Jerusalem, It wasn't like he thought it was going to be. As I said, they were in these mixed and unlawful marriages. It's not as if he traveled this long journey, and so when he got there, everyone was so appreciative that they just did whatever he said. No, it got hardest right there at the end. It took months of patient teaching, prayer, and interaction with people to motivate them to do what is right. And what a triumphant day it was when they came to him and said, we have lived in sin and we will make the necessary changes. It's just like the story of Nehemiah years earlier. He gets to Jerusalem, the walls are in shambles. He can't believe it. Here you have marriages in shambles. Ezra can't believe it. But neither one of them gave up. And how could they give up? How could you walk away from God if he was standing next to you saying, I have got you. I am with you even to the ends of the age. I am near. Let's do this. So if you're thinking, hey, I didn't tune in to an Excel Still More episode just to hear about God. I want some action items. Well, there are four for you to consider. One, start preparing. Do the work every day so that you can be ready to do what God needs you to do. Number two, pray. Pray about it all the time. Pray about it every day. God's right there with you. Talk to him. Number three, proceed. When it's time to move forward, move forward. Don't use your life missing opportunities because you feel afraid or alone. God is preparing you for action. And then the last one is perseverance. It will be hard. If doing the right thing and growing and helping people was easy, we wouldn't need God next to us in order to do it. But please remember to keep your achievements in context. The power to do great things is not in you, but it is all around you when you are experiencing God's hand. Thank you so much for joining in today. If you enjoyed this program, consider sharing it with your family and your friends. As always, you can go to excelstillmore.life to sign up for the email order the three-month journal, or just catch up on old episodes. And also, if you are looking for financial advice or future planning, give John Cunningham a call today, 205-913-1720. And remember this, whatever you choose to do today, in the name of the Lord Jesus, excel still more.